It's great to see you guys. I, it's such an honor and a privilege to be able to speak with you this morning. And uh, we're so thankful that Pastor Mark gets a Sunday off. And we're just praying that he has a wonderful time with his friends and family. So it's such a joy to be here post-Christmas. And I'm hoping all of you had a great Christmas. And so I thought maybe what we could do is we could just go, <sighs> can everyone do that? <sighs> yeah. You know, because sometimes after Christmas, we have to do that. We have to let out that kind of sigh. Now, you might be sitting next to somebody who uh, their sigh is a sigh of contentment. Ah, Christmas is over, and oh, it's sad. You know, I have to wait another 360 days to do it all over again. And, you know, I think I'm going to keep my tree up till the end of January, and my lights up until spring, and oh, it was so wonderful. Everything was perfect. You know, you have those people, and you, you see them, and you're looking at them. You give them a dirty look, right? Then you have the people with the sigh of relief, like, oh, oh thank goodness that's over. I'm going to enter hibernation months now. Through the winter, no one's going to see me. I'm just going to hibernate and recover from the busyness of Christmas. Then you have people that maybe have a sigh of disappointment, you know. Christmas didn't actually turn out the way they thought it would. Things weren't perfect. They had great, um, great excitement and things they thought were going to come together, but it just didn't work out. And then there's the sigh of regret. And it's not really a full sigh because you're kind of still kind of stressed because you know in a few weeks you're going to be getting a bill in the mail. And that bill is for all the presents you bought, right? There's that sigh of regret. So post-Christmas can mean different things to different people. And so I don't know where you are in those level of size, but I'm sure one of them you can relate to. Now, if you're a child, Christmas is just full of excitement, and you're excited, you're going to find out what you're going to get, and you're going to get gifts, and you know, my family was really excited because they were going to get some time off of school, my husband was going to have some time off work, we had family visiting, we're going to eat great food, we were excited, there was that, that excitement towards Christmas. But sometimes as a parent, I have to try to remind my kids about the true meaning of Christmas. Now, I'm sure none of you forget the true meaning of Christmas. It's all about Jesus, right? But, you know, in the hustle and bustle of the season, sometimes we can lose sight of the true meaning. So I always take every opportunity I can to remind my kids, this is why we do this, and this is the significance. And so as a pastor to some of your children, some of the little children here, we also took every opportunity we had to tell them the true meaning of Christmas. And so our theme for the whole month of December was Jesus is the best gift. And we really wanted to kind of really try our best to make and get the children to focus on Jesus being the greatest gift. But sometimes... Our best efforts, we still can get caught up in the decorations and the shopping and all that sort of thing, and we can lose sight. But I have some really good news this morning about post-Christmas. The miracles of Christmas didn't end at the birth of Christ. They continue on throughout Scripture. I'm going to talk about a couple of those miracles today in Matthew chapter 2. And I'm going to get an opportunity to share with you a miracle that happened in my life. Don't be nervous about my big book up here. It's not going to be that long. So in Matthew chapter 2, we are introduced to some kind of post-Christmas characters, post-Christmas people, and they are the Magi. 
And in Matthew chapter 2, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So here we are introduced to the Magi. Maybe you've heard them called something else. Maybe you've heard them called the wise men or the kings of Orient. And what we do know is that they're, they're kind of a group of scholars. They may have been astrologers, kind of like scientists in their own right. And they studied the stars. And we know that from the very beginning, from that very first verse, they acknowledged something. They acknowledged that a king was going to be born. They acknowledged that Jesus was going to be king. So they knew who they were looking for. Now, there's lots of things we don't know about these wise men. So there's a spoiler alert. Just in case you have your nativity still set up and the wise men are right there with the shepherds, there's a little bit of a spoiler alert. We don't know exactly when they arrived. We're not sure what city or town they came from. We know they came from the east, and so some historians believe they may have traveled from Persia, so modern-day nations like Iran and Iraq. So we're not sure how long it took them to find Jesus. And another thing we're not sure about is we don't know how many there were. So that's, that's a big spoiler alert, right? Because we always think there are three wise men. And so, you know, I don't want to rock anybody's theological boat or anything, but we might not know that, okay? So we know that they traveled a distance. We know it could have been, some people say, between 400 and 700 miles. Some say it was over 1,000 miles. But we, we don't really know. Now we're assuming, I don't know if you've ever done star watching, but it's very hard to watch a star in the daytime. I don't know. You should maybe try that today and see how that goes for you. But So we're, we can assume that maybe their traveling had to be done by night so that they could actually follow the star. So there's lots of things we're unsure about when it comes to the wise men. But we know that they knew who they were looking for. They studied, they waited, they watched, they were committed to this journey. And finally, the day arrives and they see this miracle in the sky that was going to guide them to the king. And we don't know, some people believe that maybe they were Jews that had been living in a far-off land, and some people say, oh, no, they weren't. But there was a verse in Numbers 24, verse 17, which states, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. We know that they had studied the scriptures. They knew what they were looking for and who they were looking for, and they were expecting a sign. At Christmas, we can have so much anticipation, so much excitement, and we already know what happened. We know the end of the story, but these magi must have had a different type of anticipation because they were waiting and waiting and waiting, and Christmas can bring anticipation into our lives, so it could be the presents, you know? You're maybe your child, and you're like, I can't wait, and maybe you went up to the tree, and you shook the box. And you looked at the size of it, and you thought, oh, yeah, I think this is, this is a Lego set. Or, you know, this is, this is something else. And, and you kind of had this anticipation, you know, like, I wrote my list. I really think that I'm going to get this gift. There's that anticipation. And then there's the anticipation for family reunion, right? Oh, it's Christmas time. I'm going to get to see my family. I haven't seen them in a year. We were so blessed. We have 
family from my husband's side. I have family from my side here today. And it was so wonderful. Christmas brings this family reunion to so many people. And then there's the Christmas baking, right? Now, just so you know, I don't bake. And so that maybe some of you are surprised by that. I don't know. My family is not surprised by that. They know very well that I don't bake. You know, once in a while I might, you know, surprise them, but very rarely. But we had the privilege of having Grammy come. And we were anticipating the gingerbread men and the ginger cookies. And it worked out. It was delicious. And so sometimes you can have that, the anticipation for the, the traditions that you use and that you do at Christmas. There's this buildup. You want to you give the right gift. You want to get the right gift. You want to cook the turkey just right, and you want to get invited to the right Christmas parties, right? There's all these things that you have anticipation for. So this, there's so much hope we put in the season of Christmas. It affects our pocketbooks. It affects our time and our energy and our relationships. So the wise men must have been filled with great anticipation. They'd been waiting so long, and they were so committed to this journey. Sometimes it's hard to wait for something. I don't know if anyone here has a hard time waiting for anything, or you guys are all extremely patient people. I don't know. But just over Christmas, I was in Costco, and, I, you know, I, once in a while I go to Costco, and they have the free samples, right? So I go, I make sure I just go up and grab my sample. I don't really even listen to what they're telling me. I just like, oh, free food. I've got it. I'm taking it, you know? And then there's this one sample at Costco. It's for like Nescafe or something coffee, Nespresso or something like that. I might be messing up the name. And you've got to actually wait. Like you go up and somebody's there and they want to explain to you the machine and how it works and how good it is and na, 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 na. And so I, I, I've seen it a few times. I'm like, I've got to wait. I forget it. And so just before Christmas, I was with my daughter, and I had my cart, and I thought, no, you know what? I'm going to wait. And so I waited a couple minutes, and it seemed like they were going on forever. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go get something else. I go get something else in my cart. I come back. I'm waiting. I go, three times. I never did try it because I just couldn't wait. It was too long. And sometimes life can be like that. It's so hard to wait for something that's good, that we can kind of be fickle and we can give up. But the wise men thankfully did not have that. They weren't. They were committed. They were determined to find what they had been waiting for. Sometimes Christmas can bring disappointment. So it can bring anticipation. All you people who love Christmas are like, disappointment? Christmas could never bring disappointment. Well, sometimes it can bring disappointment to people. It brought disappointment to King Herod. I'm going to continue to read in verse 3. When King Herod heard, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people of Israel. Here we see Herod was not filled with anticipation. He was filled with insecurity, fear, and disappointment. He thought, what? A new king? This is not good. I'm the king. Someone's coming to replace me. Someone's going to take away what's mine. My rule is coming to an end. He was not filled with anticipation. He was filled with disappointment and was disturbed. 
Sometimes at Christmas we can lose our perspective and we can become disappointed. The things that you anticipated were a flop. Maybe your turkey was dry and your cookies were burnt. You didn't get what you wanted. I know in my house, our kids, probably for five years in a row, have asked for a puppy. And unfortunately, they experienced Christmas disappointment again this year. There was no puppy. So sometimes we don't always get what we want. Maybe, maybe it's financial disappointment. Maybe you couldn't give like you wanted to. Maybe things changed in your life. Or maybe you gave like you wanted to, but you shouldn't. And now you're going to be facing a different type of disappointment. Maybe your relationships in your life are strained. And Christmas does not bring that time of family reunion. It actually makes distance seem bigger when you're not with those around that you, that you long to be with. Maybe you've experienced loss at Christmas. Not this Christmas, but another Christmas. And so it just reminds you. Christmas reminds you of a loss. And you experience disappointment. Or maybe you feel completely exhausted. You are burnt out. You used to love the magical sense of the season. But now your busyness has just left you disappointed. For some of you, maybe you look at what others got. So maybe if you're younger and you see what your sibling got... And you think, wow, mom and dad must love them more because they got that and I only got this. Or what? They got 10 things in their stocking and I only got eight? That's not right. Sometimes we can compare. And as adults, comparison just changes, right? We're not so picky about how many stocking stuffers we got. But maybe we look at our reality and then we go on social media and we would say, wow, look at that family. Look at what they did for Christmas. And all of a sudden, you become very disappointed in your own experience. We forget about the anticipation of Christmas. And we allow seeds of disappointment to kind of grow and sprout. So Herod was insecure. He was jealous. And that led to hatred. It's interesting that the news of the Magi spread. And it created commotion throughout the whole city. These, these wise men were prominent, important people. And they traveled in style, and they made their presence known. Everybody knew they were there. And this really upset Herod. He didn't want people getting the attention that he felt it was due to him. So his jealousy and his fear increased. Now, I know you wouldn't go to the extremes of Herod. But when we allow fear and jealousy and insecurity and opening into our lives... It can be destructive. It can affect our decisions, our choices, and it can affect our relationships. Herod also wanted to control the situation. He knew the scripture from from Micah. He knew what was going to happen, but he kind of thought, maybe I can thwart God's plan. Have you ever thought about that? You think, oh, maybe I could maybe just get ahead of God there, or maybe I could just do this, and maybe I could help God out a little, right? He's not really doing things right. I'm just going to I'm going to go this way, and, and maybe God will follow me, you know? But Herod tries to control the situation. He doesn't realize that he can't change God's plan. Sometimes we do that. So Herod resorts to plotting something very evil. In verse 7, it continues, Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. So his plan is in place. He hides his true motives. He convinces 
the wise men that he wants to serve this baby too. And he wants to find out, you know, come back and tell me all your information. And tell me where this baby is so that I can go too. But really deep down, his fear of being replaced is just eating, eating him up. In verse 9, it continues, After they heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You see, we have two very different responses here in the, in the, in the scriptures. We have the response of Herod. He was angry, he was resistant, he was bitter, fearful, plotting. And then we see the wise men. The wise men were just as important as King Herod. They were prominent men traveling from afar. People know, knew of their importance. Yet, from the beginning, they acknowledged the greatness of this child. They were not afraid of losing their importance. They weren't afraid of that at all. But they acknowledged the baby as king, and they surrendered. The wise men did something that we often don't always do. When they went to Jesus, they didn't ask for anything. Sometimes when we go to God, we go with our list, kind of like our Christmas list of our needs and the things that we, we want. But they didn't do that. They came giving gifts. And these gifts were special and significant. And I found a couple of wise guys uh, this morning, and I think they're going to come up and going to bring up some gifts here. I was searching, I was actually searching for some real, real wise guys, but I came across these three, and I said, you will do. You will do. Now, the Bible uh, tells us that we are to bring our, our cares and our concerns to him. He does care about the things that, that bother us, but there's something beautiful about surrendering to Christ first. And we see that these wise men had the, the, the posture of surrender, surrendering to Jesus. Now, they weren't visiting a grandchild. It's not like, oh, we're going to go see your grandchild. It's going to be so special. This was a child that they was practically, it was a stranger to them. They didn't know. So here we have, we have some wise guys here, and we have some gifts. And so I'm sure you know how the story goes. Those are beautiful. Those are, who wrapped those gifts? Wow. That's amazing. Did you guys wrap those gifts? No. I doubt it. I doubt it. Thanks, Pastor Shelley. So we know that they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, I have a joke here, okay? I, I got to read it because I have a habit of messing up jokes here. So... I'm going to ask Pastor Brad, because you're pretty sharp. And I thinking of the three of you, I think I'm going to go with you. Wow. Okay? All right. Okay, don't look at my answer. Why did Mary turn down more gifts from the three wise men after the first three? Oh, mercy. Um, it wasn't mercy. It wasn't mercy. Nice. Because she had more than enough. Ah. Hey? Hey? Yeah. I threw in a dad... I threw in a dad joke there. Okay, you guys can just lay those down there. You guys can keep your crowns if it makes you feel good. All right, thank you. Yes, good job. 
So gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So when we think of the gift gold, I kind of tend to look at my ring, my wedding ring. <clears throat> Maybe you have a gold necklace or a gold locket or something else that's gold. Maybe you have a gold tooth. I don't know what you have. But gold is looked upon as being a precious metal, something that has great significance and is extremely important. And I know when these wise men brought the gifts to Jesus, they all had significance. But I started thinking, well, what do these items signify now, today, if we were to bring gifts to Jesus? So I started thinking about what's precious to us. And I started thinking about our relationships and our hopes and our dreams and our plans. They, they are precious to us. And I started to think, well, what does it mean to surrender? You know, maybe it's surrendering a relationship in your life that is maybe holding you back from, from Christ. Maybe there's a relationship that's not glorifying to God in your life, and you need to surrender it. Maybe it's your plans. Maybe you have your life completely figured out, and, you know, you think, oh, God's great, and, you know, he has a plan, but my plan is better. And you've got hopes and your dreams, and you think, you know, I've got these things, and I, I want to do it. I want to do it my way. I'm not willing to surrender. But when I think of, of really surrendering, then that means sometimes we will surrender what is precious to us. We will surrender those relationships or those goals and hopes and dreams to Christ as an act of surrender. And then there's frankincense. So frankincense was kind of like a, like a perfume. And we're told that our lives should be like a sweet aroma and that we are to imitate Christ, and we are to die to self. And so we know there are different types of aromas, right? There are good aromas. There are bad aromas. And we want to be able to surrender to God what is good. And God has given us so many gifts and so many talents. And I just think of this as a way to surrender those back to God, Sometimes we find so much of ourselves. We, find, we put so much in our own identity of who we are. And I think that we can do something beautiful and surrender ourselves. You know, in our culture, we're told to you know, you know, put yourself first and demand your rights and to, to fight for things. And, and, and it's really kind of driven hard that this idea of surrendering is kind of weak. But I see these wise men, these men who were prominent, and here they bow before a baby that they had never met before, and they're surrendering. They're surrendering gold, what's precious to them. They're surrendering frankincense. They're offering their lives to be a sweet aroma, to imitate Christ. And then there's myrrh, which is, was like an ointment, an he, a healing ointment. And so I started thinking, we know that the significance of that was the fact that Jesus was going to die. And so the myrrh kind of represented that. And I started thinking, well, what does it represent for me if I'm surrendering it to God? And I started thinking about maybe hurts and pain from the past that maybe we've experienced that we need to surrender to God. Maybe you've given God your, your hopes and your dreams and, and you, you serve like nobody's business, but it's things from the past that you've had a hard time surrendering. 
our disappointments and our failures. So Christmas can bring anticipation, it can bring disappointment, but hopefully it can bring surrender. So I want to look at the second miracle in verse 12. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Here is we, where we see the second miracle. These men were sent a message in a dream. They were warned to not trust Herod. They were told to go home a different way, a different route. I was doing some research about dreams, and not visions, but actual dreams when people slept in the Bible. And what I found was there were 21 recorded dreams. Ten are from the book of Genesis. There's one in the book of Judges, one in the book of Kings, three in the book of Daniel, and six in the book of Matthew. And five of those are in the Christmas story, which I thought was very interesting. God at times chooses to speak through dreams. Have you ever had a reoccurring dream? You know, a dream you have one night and then, you know, maybe a week later you have this dream and then, or maybe it's longer, maybe it's a year and you have this dream and it kind of keeps coming back and you don't know what it means. You can't figure it out. You ponder it. Maybe you tell somebody about it and you cannot figure it out for the life of you. Well, around the age of seven or eight, I moved from Newfoundland to Vancouver and I used to have a reoccurring dream. And the dream was, I was back in Newfoundland, and I was at a camp that we used to go to as a family. And I had all my friends from, my, my little friends from Sunday school were there, and I was standing on top of a bus, and I was talking to everybody about God. And it was just a very odd dream, and I would have it many times over years, just randomly I would have this dream. And I never could quite figure it out. I couldn't understand what it meant but it was so vivid like I could pick out the people in it and it was always the same dream sometimes it can be very frustrating when you have a dream and you wake up and you're like what is what was that was weird was that did that mean something or was that the pizza I ate before bed what was that right sometimes we don't understand our dreams till fully till, fully till later the magi were not confused about their dream they knew what it meant and they were obedient to it they decided to follow Christ and to, to recognize him as king. And they surrendered to his plan. So about 30 years later, after those reoccurring dream had first begun, I stood here. And Pastor Mark introduced me and my family to the church and said that I would be coming on staff and I was going to be one of the children's pastors here at Woodville. And he passed me the mic to, to give a greeting. And I don't even remember what I said. But when I was saying hello and uh, whatever I said, I don't remember. But all of a sudden, I had a flashback to this dream of when I was a child. And it was the oddest thing. I was like, that's weird. I'm talking and this, these thoughts are going in my head. It's just really bizarre. And so I went home. I didn't really think much about it other than I thought, that is really weird. But then I started to think, well, what could that actually mean? And then all of a sudden, I figured it out. You see, when I was 17 years old, I moved back to Newfoundland. And I went to a camp. And I was at a camp with the friends I was when I was a little girl. And so I'm like, well, that's weird. That's what that meant. And when I was at this camp, I was going through a, a kind of a challenging time in my life. I was... Going into my last year of high school, I was trying to figure out where I was going to go to college, university, what I was going to do with my life. 
And I always wanted to be a police officer. That's what I always wanted to do. I always wanted to be a detective. And, uh, but I, I just, I was just kind of torn. And, you know, I loved God. I wanted to follow him. But I kind of said, you know, God, I kind of have my plans figured out. So there's this little voice that says Bible college and pastor. And, and I just want to let you know that that ain't going to happen. Okay. So, you know, I love you and all that, but I, I figured out what I want to do and I definitely never want to be a pastor. Okay. So we, God and I did some talking. I did most of the talking and, and he listened. So that night I went to bed and I was, I was still kind of torn and I guess within my spirit, I was torn. So the next morning for me, everything changed because I was going home on a bus. And when I was on that bus, we got in a terrible accident. And excuse me if I get emotional. Even 30, 30 some years later, well, it wasn't that long, but 20, 25 years later, it still gets me. I was coming home on a bus with my friends from church when the driver lost control of the bus. And I remember calling out to him, you're, you're, you're Mr. Keats, you're going the wrong way. And I, there's nothing I could do. And I was sitting in the front row and we hit a huge highway sign. We were going at highway speed. The next thing I knew, I woke up in the woods, lying on my back. And I had no feeling in my body. And I remember there were flies. They were landing on my face. And I couldn't even swat them away because I couldn't move. And so I must have cried out for help. And one of my friends who wasn't injured as badly heard me. And he came and found me. And everyone else was kind of still in the bus. It had broken into three pieces, if you can believe it. And they all landed in the, the body of the bus upside down. And I went flying out. And so he came and... I said, Aroli, I can't feel anything. I can't, I can't move. I can't feel anything. And he started to pray for me. And he was praying and praying. And then I started having this funny taste in my mouth. And I said, Aroli, I think I'm, I think I'm eternally bleeding. I, I have this taste in my mouth. And it's like this copper taste. And I think it's blood. And, and so then he just began to speak in tongues. And he just was praying. And if you don't know what speaking in tongues is, it's a heavenly language that God gives us. And you can read about it in Acts 2. And he began to speak in tongues. And for the first time in my life, I actually could interpret what he was saying. He was speaking in a language. I had no idea what it was. But I knew what he was saying. And he was praying and he was, he was begging and he was pleading God to heal me. And as I lay there, I just said, I surrender. I said, God, if this is what you have for me, I will do it. I won't be bitter. I'll use whatever you have for me to glorify you. And I surrendered. And with that, there was a whoosh of pain that went through my body. It was the best pain and the worst pain in my entire life. And it was amazing. And I knew at that moment that God had healed me. So I was transported to the hospital. I, had, I was in the hospital for quite some time. And I had other injuries. I had, um, I completely destroyed my left knee and I had a puncture in my lung. And so I had some recovery to do. So the doctor came in and said to me, it's very interesting, Kimberly. There is, there's aged scar tissue on your spinal cord. 
And he said, it doesn't make any sense because that is a very traumatic injury. You would have known about it, but it's aged. The scar tissue is aged. And you should not be able to have any movement in your body. So he didn't use the word miracle, but I knew that it was a miracle. I knew that God had performed a miracle in my body. So it was still a difficult year. I was grade 12. I, had, I still had my, my, my injuries that lasted were vertebrae, crushed vertebrae. So I had to go to school. When I did go to school, in this full body brace, and then this full brace down here. And it was a very challenging time in my life. So I had to remember to continue to surrender to God. Now, sometimes I still have aches and pains in my body. But every time I do, it's a reminder of what God has already done in my life. And the doctor told me, he said, now, you, you are, you're able to walk and you're moving around, but you probably will have to have a cane. And if not a cane, you'll definitely have a limp. And you're going to have to relearn how you go up and down stairs because you won't be able to go up and down stairs normally. I don't know if you see me on a Sunday morning, but I go up and down those stairs probably 10 times to the classrooms and down and checking on the kids. So he wasn't right about that. Surrender. Sometimes we have to surrender. So I believe that dream was telling me that one day I would be standing on a tragedy but being able to show God's miracle through it. God knew what I was going to do that day. He knew I was going to get on the bus. But he allowed something tragic to become a miracle in my life, and I'm so thankful for it. We have to learn to trust God in his timing and in his plans because God still performs miracles today. So we are about to enter 2020. Does that sound scary? It does. It sounds scary for some reason. I'm scared. And many of us make New Year's resolutions. Who makes a New Year's resolution? Put your hand up if I can see you make a New Year's resolution. Only a few of you. Wow, that's impressive. I made a resolution never to make a resolution. And, and I have kept it. So I looked up the most common resolutions. And you know what's funny? I found this website said, here are the top resolutions that get broken soon into the new year. So if any of these on your list, beware. Okay, the first was lose weight and get fit. Surprise, surprise. Two, quit smoking. Three, learn something new. Four, eat healthier and diet. I think that's the same as number one, but I don't know. Then it's get out of debt and save money. Yep. Spend more time with family. Travel to new places. You got to get, get out of debt and save money done first, right? Be less stressed. If you figure that out, pass it on. Volunteer in children's ministry. <laughs> the last part I added there, yeah. Drink less. So these are some things that people write down. They have the best intentions, and sometimes they get broken soon into the new year. What I want to challenge you today, this morning, is that before you make your list of your resolutions or your ideas of how you see 2020 working out for you. I want to encourage you to surrender it to Christ. Bring him your, what's precious to you. Bring him your hopes and your dreams and your plans and surrender them to God. See what God wants for your life. It's much easier if you surrender to him. 
It doesn't matter how old you are. You can be 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. God has a plan for your life. You're never too young and you're never too old for God to use you and for God to have a plan. We just don't always see it. But I truly believe that God is always weaving his plan in and out of our lives. We just have to be open and surrender to it. I've shared my testimony many times to various people, but it was interesting that it, I didn't figure it out what it meant until so many years later. And we learn about surrender from Christ. Jesus left heaven to take on bodily form. Jesus surrendered when he said, not my will, but yours be done. He surrendered his life so that we could find ours. And if you've never surrendered to Jesus, you've never given him your heart, I hope you will do that today. I'm going to ask the band to come back. And maybe we can take a moment this morning to think about the things in our lives that we could surrender to Christ. The things that we can come and bring before him and leave with him. Not things that we want to hold on to, but things that we want to leave with him. Things that are precious to us. Things that maybe have caused us pain in the past. Surrendering is not an easy thing to do. Sometimes we have to do it over and over and over again. And that's okay. It's okay to, to, to have moments where like, oh, I thought I had dealt with that. And for all of a sudden to rise up again. It's okay. Jesus is always there waiting and willing for us to surrender to him. So maybe we can stand and pray. So as 2020 approaches and we start thinking about all those external things that we want to do, we want to save money, we want to get fit, I'm hoping that we can take some time to really think about the internal things in our lives that we can surrender to God. And if you'd like, you can come forward and do that. You can pray in your seat. You can come up and pray with somebody else. But I, I wanted to give you opportunity as the new year approaches. And sometimes it's a time where we really start to put things in perspective. I wanted to give you an opportunity for that today. And if you have never surrendered your life to Christ, I'm going to pray. And you can pray in your own words. You can pray my words. It's very simple. It's stepping out in faith and surrendering to Christ, allowing him to lead you and guide you throughout life. Dear God, we just thank you. We thank you for this past year. We thank you for the things that you have done. We thank you for the things that you're going to do. And as this new year begins, I pray that we surrender. May we surrender our lives we surrender the relationships, our hopes, our dreams, our plans that may be holding us back from something that you have for us. And I pray that we will surrender ourselves, our, our identity and who we are and all of our gifts and our talents. I just pray that we will surrender them to you, allow you to use us. And God, I pray for those disappointments that we have faced last year or 10 years ago that maybe we've never really dealt with. I just pray right now that we will surrender those to you as well and that we will step out in a new year confident in your plan and your purpose for our life. In Jesus' name.
draw me close.